Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak. Is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit Klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-O. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leading Brands hosted by Wavebreak. I'm Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak. We help brands like Curology and Nutrafol maximize revenue from their email and SMS marketing with best-in-class strategy and execution. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help you do the same, visit our website, wavebreak.co. Link is down in the show notes below. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jim Heather, CEO of Hyperice. Jim joined Hyperice in 2014 and has led the business from less than a million in annual sales to over 200 million in annual revenue. We talk through everything from product innovation to global expansion to retail, distribution, optimizing your workflow across your entire team, daily KPIs that he monitors every single day, and so much more. This is a great episode. I think there's a lot to learn from Jim and what he's built at Hyperice. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dale. I appreciate you having me on. Excited for it. Yeah, same here. I'm really excited. I feel like Hyperice is one of those brands that everybody in the industry has kind of watched grow over the last few years and um, you know, really just become a very dominant brand in the space and excited to hear that story firsthand from yourself. But before we get into that, would love to hear a little bit about your background, how you ended up CEO of Hyperice, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, of course. And, and um, you know, I grew up in uh, Northern California, kind of in the Silicon Valley area. So I was all, always around kind of sports tech. My father actually worked for Atari really early on. He was an engineer. So I was kind of around, you know, um, he was one of the developers of Joe Montana football, actually, one of the early football games. So growing up, I was really into sport, really into technology and um, played a little baseball throughout my life as well. So always had a, a passion for the convergence of business, technology and sport. 
Um, so I started out in, in finance, you know, kind of coming out of my MBA. I was working also for um, AEG and doing some stuff with the Lakers, Kings, Clippers, getting kind of introduced to sport, but also with the finance background and really had a passion for entrepreneurialism as well. How do you how do you build businesses? How do they grow? What makes them tick? What's the differentiator behind a business? This is something we learned in case studies in business school, and I was just fascinated by it. So um, had a few different emerging companies and startups in the health tech sector that I worked on and eventually was introduced to the founder of Hyperice really early on, Anthony. And we we really vibed on where we could take this company and how big and meaningful the category could be. So I joined back in 2014. Um, I was the fifth or sixth employee at Hyperice. And um, yeah. Yeah. And since then, Hyperice has grown a lot. Like I, I think... I've seen numbers where it's like when you joined Hyperice at just you said your fifth or sixth employee. And I believe at that time it was less than a million in annual revenue. And then from what I've seen, I think like last reported revenue numbers was something like over 200 million in annual revenue today. Um, so the business has grown a lot since then. Um, did you, when you were hired, did you immediately step into the CEO role or what did that look like? Yeah, it's it's um and those those numbers are are pretty accurate. I think when we started, I remember because we were out raising money, um, our initial forecast we were showing that we could go from about four hundred fifty thousand in revenue uh, within five years. We wanted to get to about fifty million in revenue, right? That was the initial forecast for us. So, and um, our, our plan there was. You know, really, we would develop the brand, we'd build distribution, um, we would start with global markets a little bit early. Um, a lot of companies wait, we were going to start early because we knew we had a, a new kind of industry changing technology that we thought would be applicable to to everybody. So um, we were fortunate in that, you know, we were able to build a really strong brand early on. Um, we had a lot of athletes involved in the community, obviously, that were helping ex- extend that vision and mission for us. And uh, we come up, came up with a couple really innovative, game-changing products in 2016 and 2018 that really propelled the company, and we ended up surpassing those projections pretty substantially. That's amazing. And so, like, how, how does that end up happening? Like the product, like you just catch fire with the product, and then it takes off, and you're just trying to keep up with demand, or like, how do you end up? Because it's one thing to have a winning product, and then it's another thing to be able to like hit the numbers that you're talking about. So, like, how did that? How did that all come together? Yeah, well, the first thing we did was construct a really good team. <clears throat> Obviously, we br- we brought on some really talented individuals who could help us execute the plan. Um, but one of the key initiatives really early on is we aligned myself and Anthony, who's the, the founder of Hyperice, that we wanted to make Hyperice a technology company and not a sporting goods company, right? So we wanted to aspire to be more like a Tesla, Dyson, you know, Nike combination, so to speak, um, with a little bit of Apple as opposed to another company that may have been just sporting goods. And at the time, we didn't have any electronic products, right? We only had one product. It was the ice compression device that um, Kobe ended up popularizing for us, Kobe Bryant, on the sidelines, which was a great product, but there was no real um, electronics or technology behind it um, besides the air release valve. So when we launched um, our first electronics product in 2014, which was the Viper, it was the world's first vibration uh, foam roller, Right. And what it did is it basically enhanced the myofascial release that a traditional foam roller would deliver to the body. I mean, it was very effective. We actually did that on Kickstarter intentionally. I mean, we were already 
it wasn't like we were launching the company, but we did that strategically to start to get the technology writers to cover the brand, right? So we had Gizmodo and we had all sorts of tech writers covering the brand. So that was one of our first moves. And I think really early on, you know, we knew we had the athlete populations that loved our products and we knew we could leverage that. And we did that very effectively. Um, but we also knew that the products were applicable to a lot of different business environments. For example, Equinox and Lifetime Fitness and Orange Theory and places like that could utilize our technology and introduce the products to a lot of different populations on the daily, right? So I think what we did really well is we leveraged the, the brand with athletes, we built the distribution, and then we hyper-focused on, on delivering game-changing cutting-edge products. And in 2018 and 2017, when we really had some of our big hit kind of home run products, we already had the distribution and brand in place. So those accelerated very quickly. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So basically, you have those relationships in distribution set up. And so then whenever you struck gold with your newest product innovations, you could just automatically enter all those retailers and then you know expand nationally. And even were you even selling globally at that point too? Because I know you mentioned that was something that you wanted to do really early compared to other brands. Yeah, we did. We started really early on the global side. We knew that this was going to be a new industry, a new market category. And we wanted to be first movers um, in some key markets like Japan, China, Germany, Australia. So to this day, those, those territories are very strong for us because we started really early. Um, but I remember it's funny in um, 2018... Uh, I remember at the beginning of the year, we had a goal for the team and the, the team is really built on collaboration. So we, we built this company very much like a sport, pro, uh, a sports pro franchise, right? Where people are working together. It's very collaborative. Uh, it's not very, very siloed from a, um, you know, from a business standpoint, everybody's collaborative, but we had a team goal of like, I think it was $12.5 million in 2018. And we ended up doing like 64 million. We, we kept just changing the goals upward and upward and upward. <laughs> um, and because, you know, we, we had, we had this, we had lightning in a bottle with a couple of really innovative products, but we also had spent a lot of time making sure the brand was sharp and the distribution points were sharp. Um, and that was a credit to, to the entire team and the strategy. Wow, that's incredible. And so how did you prepare to make sure everything was sharp? Like what were some of the things you focused on, whether that be like hires on the team or just yep. like pillars of the brand? I'm curious what that looked like. Yep. So a few things there. One, the mission and the vision of the company was really important because that's really how you get people totally bought in, right? If you have a strong mission and vision, and when you're doing hiring, that's important too. You need to understand what people are looking for in a role, right? If you're coming into a young emerging company that's humble and hungry, um, and we want to go be the innovators and the game changers, like you need a lot of people with that same type of mentality, right? So I think we set the vision, you know, which is is moved a little bit, but it's really stayed pretty core to the beginning, right? To help everybody on earth move better and live better right? That's the mission statement. And we're going to do that through innovation and technology. So that was really key. And then I think for all businesses, you you really have to understand kind of your competitive advantages and design your business model for the type of business that you, that you are. Um, for example, for us, we had authentic roots in sports. We had some of the world's best athletes using our product every single day without paying them, right? Um, because it was part of their craft. It was part of performance and longevity efforts for them. So we were going to double down there. We were going to use Patrick Mahomes to 
to leverage the brand. We were going to use Kobe Bryant. We were going to use LeBron to help spread our message because those players all were using the technology on the daily. Um, and then also we knew that our products were very experiential, right? You've used some of our devices before. Like when you try them, that's when the wow factor happens. You're like, whoa, I feel really good. This feels amazing. I'm seeing improvement. My body's more fluid. I can move more freely, right? So we designed a business model that lined up well with the products that we were delivering. And that's where the equinoxes and the lifetime fitness and the orange theories, places you could go where thousands of people every day were touching and feeling our products. And that created a viral effect with a low cost of acquisition. Um, and the word spread really quickly within the fitness environment. Interesting. So like when you went from, you know, you said initially projecting 12 million in that year and you hit something like 65 million in revenue, yep. what percent of that was like direct? And then what percent of that was through partners? I don't know if you're allowed, to, if you could share that, but I'd just be curious what that breakdown looks like if possible. Yeah, it was, it was a mix. I mean, we were doing probably 50% of our revenue at that time, basically on digital because there was just, there was so much pull right? We had created a product that had a lot of awareness. People saw it on social media. People were seeing it on the sidelines. And so in the early stages, we were doing a lot of revenue because we didn't have all the retail points, the Best Buys and the Nordstrom and the Bloomingdale's fully set up yet, right? Um, so the first year was, was a lot of digital and then a lot of B2B partnership revenue, right? Like some of those experiential locations. Um, and that shifted over time. Now, in, in current state, we have a lot more retail distribution and a lot more international distribution. Um, but in the early stages, it was just there was so much pull coming in. I mean, one of our biggest challenges in 2018 and 2019 with the Hypervolt, which was a, you know, a very the first ever quiet massage gun that delivered multiple speeds, multiple heads that really kind of, you know, lit the fitness world on fire. Our biggest challenge was we couldn't make them fast enough right? That was a huge challenge for us. So yeah, I think, I think in general for us, you know, the, the business obviously has changed over time. There's more competition, um, more distribution points. You have to be really smart with, with pricing the product right for the consumer. Um, but keeping the brand and the distribution really strong has always been a focus for us. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Like, how do you balance that as CEO of such a rapidly growing company? Because there are many different angles of like rapid growth and many problems that you have to solve. So when you're thinking about, you know, you have the, the, the distribution that you need to make sure is streamlined and expanding while at the same time, you need to make sure on the back end you're keeping up with inventory. Like, what does that mm -hmm. look like tactically as the CEO when you're going from a million to 65 million <laughs> in four yeah. years? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and I've learned a ton in this role, right? It's funny, because you go into it, and you know, you have your credentials in business and experiences at other, you know, previous roles as executive, but this has been, you know, an amazing experience just for me as CEO, um, seeing a company that went from, you know, $500,000 to 200 million plus, but also has gone through COVID, right, which was an environment where, everything shifted for us, right? Supply chain completely changed. It was something that was really easy for us all the way until 2021. And then it became very difficult, right? Getting components, getting them in time, making sure we're sourcing the right materials. Uh, prices went up on components. Um, as an electronic companies, the, the, as an electronics company, those things really changed 
the way we approached manufacturing and supply chain and delivering products to customers. Um, but I think you really have to be sharp on forecasting and planning. It's 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 understated. It really is. Um, but it's so important. And to do that, you really need full alignment from your entire team, right? You need your sales team talking to your marketing team, talking to your supply chain team, right? Talking to your operations team. Because if you have not enough product, that's a problem for sales. If sales delivers a huge purchase order for millions of dollars, we don't have the product, that's an issue, right? If marketing is delivering an amazing campaign and sales or operations doesn't know about it yet and it hits and it's very successful, we need product, right? Um, so I think the companies that have those key kind of sectors of the business very aligned are in the best position to succeed and be adaptable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's a great point too, because it's like, yeah, everybody, you know, it surprises me when companies aren't more integrated across like all of those three departments that you mentioned, because they are so like, everybody has their own goals, but at the same time, they're so integrated together. And you see some brands, you know, mostly like legacy companies, it's like their, you know, finance and forecasting and operations team is like totally separate from any of the sales and marketing. It's like, yeah. You're fighting with your hands tied behind your back on the sales and marketing side. So I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Like in rapid growth, how often are those conversations happening? A lot, a lot. And I think like the it, one of my roles, right, as leader and, and as this this role has changed a lot over the years, right? I, I tend to focus on where I think the company needs me most, right, in certain areas. But I think from a leadership perspective, it's on me and a lot of our senior leaders to make sure that our um, department leads are really working together seamlessly and they're synergetic and they understand each other's business units, right? And so we spend a lot of time on that, just you know, having team meetings where people are sharing what's happening in their department um, openly. And you may not think, hey, why is supply chain or operations here? Because it helps them make good decisions around right. when they're making a decision around bringing one of our products from you know germany and moving it over to japan for example and they're trying to forecast what needs to be where if they know that there's a big campaign with naomi osaka in japan coming up right or a big sales initiative with professional sports they're going to be able to be sharper on their decision making right so that's been i think a competitive advantage and it's a benefit of being a company that's you know not huge on employees yet right we're kind of some more speedboat as opposed to yacht <laughs> We can kind of nice. maneuver around um, and, and we play that competitive advantage. Yeah. And it, it gets even crazier once you start adding the global marketing mix into it and the, the nuances within, you know, like you're saying, like the marketing in Japan and the promotion running there. But like, yeah, if, you're, if your supply chain team is completely in the dark, like that could cause a lot of problems, especially in today's market too, where like, you know, selling through inventory and having enough and not having too much and having it just right is so important. Agreed. And there's been a lot of focus on that. Just you see, even at retail, like, because retailers are changing the way they buy, right? Based on coming out of COVID. So I think businesses are adapting uh, quite a bit. And, and the good ones are understanding that you have to build the org to be adaptable, right? Um, that's, I think, what we've learned coming out of COVID. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's crazy because it's like there's there hasn't really been a normal 
in the whole like next generation brand era. Like first it was like, okay, is this possible? Is this something we can build? And then it was like Facebook ads were great and like social and digital was cheap. And then it started getting more expensive. Then COVID happens and then inflation happens and then, you know, recession happens, all these things. There's always, (laughs) there's always something going on, but um, it sounds like you've got a good, good foundation and team to, to be able to, you know, continue to drive growth in times like this. Like when you look back at the team that you built along the way, like what are some of the roles that you hired for that allowed you to move so fast? Yeah. And and it's, it's really been a combination of we've brought in some great people for sure. And we've, we're always looking to bring in really talented individuals. And we've also built um, a lot of successful leaders homegrown, right? So our, for example, our, our senior VP of sales, um started out at the company the day I did right and she <laughs> no was, way, that's uh, awesome she was, she was uh, essentially an entry level sales employee um that was a pro, former pro volleyball player Ashley Ashley Price former pro volleyball player and you know played for a US team in some capacity and was very successful there came on board her first job and developed as a leader and you know, really helped us propel on the sales side as we grow. Now she's a senior VP and leads a huge team. Same thing with our um, our senior VP of business development. He's been here, you know, six years plus and, um, you know, started out as a director and built up and now is leading a big team. So I think we've worked on kind of developing our people. And part of that is they kind of develop themselves too, right? When you have a really good person who wants to learn and thrive, we give them room to operate. Um, with a little bit of guidance. And and when you can do that, you also have people that really deeply understand the business. And it doesn't take them a long time to be adaptable and to make sharp decisions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even as like us as an agency partner to brands, like we're really lucky because of a lot of hard work to have long-term relationships. And it's just a much more like whether it's a long-term employee or a long-term vendor relationship, it's like you get to know the business deeper than anybody else. And you can move so much faster and go so deeper than if it's like, you know, you're constantly trying to, you know, find the next person or get someone up to speed, like all those learnings just disappear. And I I think that's a huge testament to the team you've built, considering like, you know, some entry level team members have grown into now some of the highest roles in the organization. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's been great to see. And and also just looking back and saying, we've had employees that have been here for 10 years, eight years, seven years, right? Um, long tenured employee in a business environment where there's a lot of churn and yeah. turnover, right? So, and I think that comes back to the vision and look, it's not all like roses, like there's a lot of hard work here and, you know, we've had ups and downs like every business, but I think, you know, a lot of people really bought into what we're doing and it's exciting. Like this industry is, is growing a ton. It really has a benefit of having the cool factor. You know, we're on TV all the time. You see Mahomes, <laughs> Rory, and Erling Holland using the products and all these awesome athletes. Um, but it's very meaningful. Like we're improving the physiology of the body and we're allowing people to do the things that they love for a longer period of time. Um, and there's scientific benefits from the product. So we're we're kind of, we can be cool, so to speak, humbly. I say that humbly, like we can play the cool factor. Um, but the real vision and mission here is that we're helping people, you know, improve the way they move, which has an impact on humanity. Right. And that's really where I think people buy into the mission. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's totally different than 
you know, other companies where it's like, I mean, it's just like, there's so much more to buy into. There's so many exciting projects and products and partners, like you mentioned, to get excited about. And um, yeah, I mean, the company's grown really fast, which is exciting as well. Like when you look to to hire talent, and I know mm-hmm. even that alone in the last few years has changed a lot. Like how, how do you approach hiring today? And like, how, how do you look in and find those people who not only buy into the mission and vision, but you know they're going to be able to go from entry level employee, and they're excited mm-hmm. and they want to grow, and you know one day end up a senior vice president or you know yeah. in the C suite next to yourself. Yeah, and you actually you actually hit our model of hiring right there really well. So oh, wow. we, we 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 say this all the time. Our philosophy is um, let's say that we are bringing someone on uh, to our hypercare team, which is our customer experience team. If we have an individual that we know could do a great job in CX in that role for 10 years, we probably won't hire them, right? We want someone that we can look at and say, this person's going to do a great job in the CX role, but can eventually be a VP. We can develop them into a director. They can take on a role in another capacity at the company. Like we want people with that aptitude for learning because you know, the the longer people can be here, understanding the business, understanding the model, have an intimate relationship with customers or um, the the current team we have, the sharper they're going to be on their decision making, and the more they can bring to the org. Um, and so we're very selective. There's been times where it's like, hey, this person could do this job well, but I don't know if they can groom into a leader as a director. So let's find the person that can because they can have a bigger contribution long term, right? Um, and again, there's there's so many people here that that came in entry level and are directors, managers, you know, VPs, or director of hospitality came in on the CX team and now is leading like huge deals in the in the hospitality space for us. It's been fun to watch. This episode of Leading Brands is brought to you by Adnabu, the only app you need for advertising your Shopify store. If you are looking for affordable ways to reach new customers, Adnaboo could be the solution. Adnaboo offers the convenience of managing shopping ads across various online platforms like Google Shopping, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more with a single app. What sets Adnaboo apart? It's innovative AI technology. It optimizes your product listings to generate more sales for your store. Powered by the same language models fueling ChatGPT, its AI tech generates the most effective strategy for each marketplace in real time, saving merchants like you the hassle of hiring experts and giving you more time to focus on growing your business. I highly recommend you reach out and schedule a demo because it could take work off your plate while growing your sales. And as a listener of Leading Brands, you can enjoy an exclusive offer of 20% off all paid plans with the coupon code LEADINGBRANDS20. To learn more about how Adnaboo can work for your brand and to get this offer, visit adnaboo.com. That's A-D-N-A-B-U.com. Link down in the show notes below, adnaboo.com slash leading brands. Like I said, it will be linked down in the show notes below. Highly recommend you check out Adnaboo and see what it can do for your business. And what are some of those traits of that person when they might be coming into that entry-level role that you look for? And I think like even like you talking about you know, we look for someone who can be a VP in eight years or whatever that may look like. And I think that makes so much sense why you're able to grow so fast too, because you're hiring people who can grow with the business instead of just trying to add people later, like you're saying. So like, yeah, what are some of those initial traits that, because it's also hard to identify that talent at a, um, at such an early stage. So like, what are some ways um, that you attempt to do so? 
Yeah. I mean, there's three qualities that are, there's a little bit more like subjective, obviously you're going to have your objective skills. If someone's coming into like accounting, they got to have their accounting skills, right? Of course. Right. But on the subjective side, the, I'd say the three most important for us, one is aptitude for learning. Like they want to learn, they want to grow, they want to expand, you know, they want to enhance their craft. That's key. And we love, we ask that question in every interview process and the answers are pretty telling candidly. Um, and what question is that? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what do you see yourself contributing after the first 24 months? Like, give me a few examples of uh, times when you reached out to your manager or boss um, wanting to take on more responsibility or learn something new about the business and why, right? So you get an idea of their thought process. Like, hey, I want to come in and I know I'm starting early as a entry-level salesperson, but like, I want to learn why we're making decisions around sales strategy and why we're approaching these certain distribution models, right? And like, help me understand that really early on so I can frame my mindset, right? So that's one. I think two, which is really key for me, um, good attitude and energy in general. Like, and that doesn't mean you have to be, that doesn't mean don't raise your hand if you see something wrong. It means like right. you're coming to work today to like make something happen and like, you know, you're going to try to motivate someone. Or you're going to try to overcome an obstacle and like you're up for the challenge. That's a big one. Uh, and we actually, every employee reads the energy bus, which is, you know, John Gordon book that a lot of pro sports teams have actually athletes read. Um, so that's a good book just to kind of frame the mindset. And then the third one is work really well in teams and collaborate well. Right. Because this environment, we think we're much better when like I said before, when you have collaboration and you and you're able to, you know, help other employees, like we like, I'll take the garbage out. Like I'm never going to ask somebody else to do it, right? Like <laughs> that's the part of leadership, right? But we, right. it's not, hey, you do this or you do this. It's let's do this, right? Or hey, you know, we really need you to do this. It's how can I help you achieve your goals? Like let's work together on this. That's kind of the framing. So that piece is really important as well. How do you check for that during the hiring process? Yeah. So that one is, you know, you really, some people will tell you right off the bat, like, how do you work? What do you work well with teams? And some no. people, say like, <laughs> I don't. there's been a few that are like, I really don't. And it is pretty crazy what some people will admit to in the interview agreed. process. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And, and look, there, there's, there's roles where you don't need to be fully collaborative. And I'm not saying that there's people that we haven't hired that, that had that answer before. And right. Those can still be exceptional employees, but I think, you know, diving deeper there, like, Hey, give us an example of how you worked with the team and you and a team accomplished something that you're really proud of. Right. And people, a lot of times will elaborate there and say, well, this was really important because, you know, I was the manager on the project. And we had a couple team members that were struggling to, you know, deliver X, Y, Z. And I jumped in and guided them and was make sure to teach them. And then the next time the same thing happened, they stepped up and motivated some of the younger team members, things like that. You know, people that played sports, that's always a good sign because you kind of right. ask them, what did you learn about? What did you learn from sports around the importance of team? And you get some really good answers there. Um, yeah. You know, so those are all things we look for and we don't always get it right, but you know, we've gotten it right a majority of the time. And we have a lot of long-term employees that have impacted the company in, in really big ways because of it. 
Yeah. And it sounds like you're not afraid to hold out for the right fit too. Right. Right. That's Which important is tough. too. It is tough. It's like you, there, there's been a few times where you're just like, you, you got to get somebody in here right now. And, and we have to no, let's hold back because unwinding or not having the right fit can really disrupt the team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's a great approach to hiring and I appreciate you breaking it down into those three easy steps. I think anybody who's hired any number of people like, you know, beyond a few has definitely, you know, come across people. It's even easy to get, you know, duped into somebody who has really great credentials, really good at what they do. And then even just like one of these things is off, whether it's like, you know, bad attitude, always negative. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, they could be the best at what they do, but it just really, it doesn't just affect that person's role. It affects the entire team. And, um, yeah, that's tough. I, I love your team approach too. Like this is a sport we're a team and we're trying to win. And I like that because I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, everybody kind of wants to protect themselves and their role these days, instead of like, let's just all win as a team. And like, you know, everyone takes the trash out. And then as a result, like, you know, no one's pointing fingers and it's just like, you know, totally. everyone's working towards a common goal. Totally. And I, I think there's simple things that just speaking about like we, like the word yeah. me, and you'll never hear me say I like, oh, like my team or this or that. It's our team, right? The team. It's, and I think those things matter, right? right? Because it makes people just framing of things makes people feel like we're, we're working together on something and I have support as opposed to like, I'm being told to do something like the psychology is just, you're being told to do something. Oh, I got to do it. But Hey, I'm working with my director, my VP or the CEO of the company to accomplish this. That's awesome. Right. Right. And you see in bad cultures, like when people get bossed around, they're like, oh, I can't wait to boss someone else around. And it just like multiplies. So, so even the language, I I love that too, because like you even notice, like you spend a lot of time with the people you work with and it's like, everyone ends Mm -hmm. up talking the same language. So if you're intentional, you know, as CEO about the language that you use, your team picks up on that. And then it just, you know, works throughout the whole organization. I think that's a great small thing that like, especially in times like this too, where it, it's not as easy as it used to be. It is difficult, um, you Great. know, can really go a long way. Agreed. And so as the brand has scaled, like how do you continue to think about like, you've expanded product lines a lot, you've expanded globally. I want to touch a bit on um, just like marketing specifically, because I know yep. uh, something I really respect about Hyperice is your marketing. I think it's phenomenal. So like, how, how have you thought about marketing as the brand has scaled? Yeah, so we've done we we've shifted a little bit. So we always have the authenticity of pro sport, right? But we also it's funny because a lot of people think, oh, maybe 80% of your revenue is coming from sports. And actually 7% of our revenue comes from pro sports, right? Oh wow. Pro and college sports. So it's a very yeah, it's an important part of the brand because those are influential relationships and they're impacting a lot of people and driving pull, right? And demand. Um, but the, the general customer for us is you and I, right? It's the everyday person who wants to move a little bit better and wants to do the things they love, has back pain and wants to, you know, relieve back pain, soreness and stiffness. So I think over time we've, we've broadened our message a little bit to make it less just performance and more wellness and longevity. Um, and you'll see that in our marketing where it used to be. I'll just give an example. You might have seen like six out of 10 Instagram posts in 2019 where athletes using the product, right? And now you're going to see the everyday yogi 
or the fitness individual or the person in the workplace and telling stories about how the, the products impact their lives, right? So those are the type of things that um, we're trying to just broaden the messaging a little bit to be more applicable to the everyday consumer while not losing kind of the the swag or the performance ethos right. that the company has because that is a competitive advantage right right even to That's the modern the consumer because it's like the aspirational portion uh the aspirational part of the brand too it's like yes i have this everyday problem and it's like you're able to relate that to the individual and then at the same time they're like look you know if these top elite athletes trust it i trust it too exactly yeah and that was a big we we hired in february um an S an SVP in marketing, head of marketing that was the former head of marketing for Jordan brand. Um, and it worked at Nike for 17, 18 years. And, uh, that was kind of one of his first projects is let's really understand the customer and let's, let's, you know, dissect our messaging for each type of customer, you know, lifestyle performance, the different attributes, um, the gadget consumer and how we really approach them in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's the that's the right way to do it for the stage that you're at today, too. And then like speaking of, of that, you've also launched a lot of new products since you've joined the company. How do you think about product innovation? You said you're a technology company at your core. But yeah, I would love to learn how you think about continuing to scale the brand with new products. Yeah, that that really is. That is our biggest focus right now. Candidly, is product innovation. It's it's what makes us different. It's, it really is what it's the reason that all the athletes use the products, right? So we have this, and I've been at companies before where you know, I've worked in sports tech for a long time in a variety of different companies where you have to go out and pay the, the athlete, like to wear the product or to use the product, they need money. This is very different. It's, it's, it's really unique because the athletes are all already using it authentically. So if you want to do a deal with an athlete to extend that message, you're really just doing it to have them spend more time promoting it or activating it. But they're already authentically using it, right? But the reason they're using it is because the products are great, right? And so that is this company in the future forever needs to always be focused heavily on product innovation. What's the next big thing? How do we see around the corner? Um, how do we listen to consumers and athletes? to stay cutting edge, right? Um, right now we probably have, I don't know, 10 to 14 products and projects wow. that are circulating internally with our you know, technology teams and innovation teams. And there might be five or six of those that let launch and some that might be shelved, maybe wrong timing, wrong modality. Um, but we're constantly thinking down the road, what, what can we launch in 2016? I mean, 2026, what, what about 2027? Like, what do we have lined up for them? And, you know, we have great engineers, great technology leads. We've acquired a few companies over the past four or five years. And in all of those, we've brought on engineering and tech talent. That was a part of the acquisition. So those teams have been kind of developed out and they now work together collaboratively to come up with our next innovations. But it's a really important piece of the future here. Yeah. And, and you you guys are innovating and launching new products, I feel like faster than anybody else in the space. So it definitely shows. And when you think about like your role and like, you know, you're looking out to the future, you know, you're mentioning, what did you say, 2027 and 2028? Like how far out? I mean, granted, that's only five years from now because it is 2023, even though it doesn't feel like it should be. But um, yeah. how far out are you thinking about 
Hyperice as CEO? Yeah, gen- generally like the 2027 mark is kind of where I spend time and so like five obviously. years out. Five years out, yeah, and I think re- the, the the next three years is really like eighty percent of my focus, and and then there's okay. maybe twenty on the the future year, just making sure the roadmap is good because product innovation roadmaps catch up to you. You think like, oh, right. like, we can we can put that on hold because it's twenty twenty six, and then you get to twenty twenty four, and you get to Q four, and your retailers and partners are asking you, what's your roadmap for early twenty six or late twenty five, right? So it. <laughs> right. Or you get there and you're like, oh, we have this great idea, but it's going to take us two and a half years to develop. And you're like, dang it, that could be really great for revenue right now, right? Right. So it's, it's really important to be thinking out. And, and also the market changes and you learn a lot about your consumer. So as CEO, I need to be constantly mon- uh, monitoring, you know, what's happening in the consumer markets, right? What are trends? Um which products are gaining steam, which products are maybe losing steam and why, right? Um, what are new emerging categories and can we drive more awareness there? And by categories, I mean categories of product within the recovery and wellness category, right? Um, for example, like red light therapy a couple of years ago was really starting to emerge, right? And that was something that wasn't really widespread three years before pneumatic compression the acquisition we had of normatech which is a big acquisition um when we acquired that company we're we're now doing about three times the revenue when we made the acquisition in 2020 right and we've been part of it but the general market knows what air compression does a little bit more now than they did in 2020 so there's more demand and that segment of our business is growing rapidly so it's it's a lot of like constantly monitoring. We got to always make sure the resourcing is right. So we have an, a, enough people on the product development team. That's always a challenge to like develop products rapidly. That's a big piece too. Interesting. Yeah. And, and were you looking at the business still five years out when you were in that rapid growth stage when you took over doing 500,000 in revenue? Was that different or was that the same approach you took then? Uh, I was looking a little bit shorter term then. Candidly. Okay. We were looking more like... You know, because at that point you're on this hockey stick growth curve and you're looking at, I need to finance the company for more growth. (laughs) I need to raise capital. We need to double down. How do we build China? How do we take advantage of this this lightning in a bottle Um, and then develop the revenue and profits that then we can put back into the business and build the engineering team and build the innovation teams, right? So I think your mindset shifts a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I have the... I'm fortunate that I've been here now, you know, nine, nine and a half years, almost 10 years. So I've seen a lot of these transitions. So it's, it's really helpful in saying, Hey, look, we, we tried that before and it didn't work or, Hey, we've, we've learned our lesson here. So let's, let's change our approach a little bit. And I think that's helpful. Just, just 10 years sometimes in the space does help. Yeah. You get to develop that intuition and actually then you get to see it either come true or, you know, you get a learning from something that didn't work out. How much are you in like the day-to-day in your role when you're trying to like look really far out? You also seem like you're still very hands-on and and you know, getting the weeds still, I can tell. So like what does that look like? Yeah, I would say uh I'm probably more in the weeds than most. Um and that's not I'm not a micromanager at all. Like you could you could query any of our employees. That's the last thing I do, but more like I'm looking at the data every day on digital. Like I looked at it this morning and wrote wrote a few emails out to our team on trends I'm seeing. 
I'm pretty involved in, in marketing strategy, definitely involved on the legal side um, and the, the international side I'm diving into a lot. So I like to dive in and, you know, I feel like this space is, is primed for growth. I think that as we approach each product and each channel, there needs to be a definite strategy in those because some products work better in some territories or some channels, right? For example, the Normatech device is massive in Australia huh. and it's really big also in uh, Japan. And right now it's not as big in China, very big in US, right? So having you know a pulse on understanding what the trends are in each market so we can kind of coordinate our plans and help the team focus on what's going to actually drive success um i think a lot of our leaders will do that too just circulate around and, and make sure we're like spotting things correctly but i enjoy yeah, that that's, cool. that's still part i don't know if i'm ever i really like being able to have an impact still um, yeah, I'm not just the guy who's going to just communicate with investors and not be involved. <laughs> that's just not me. right. Well, that seems like just like flying blind. Like that doesn't seem mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's just crossing your fingers and like hoping everything works out instead of, you know, making Agreed. sure it works out. Agreed. Agreed. And and look, if things don't work, too, like that, you know, I, right. I, I got to own that. I got to own that because I'm involved in it. So that's also the good part. It's like, hey. You know, uh, hopefully I'm I'm a part of making the right decision. But if we make the wrong decision, like I, I got to own that, too. Yeah. And when you say like looking into the legal side, is that like intellectual property and patents yep. and things like that mostly? Yeah, th those are really important for us because there's a lot of, as you know, in the market, there's knockoffs, there's competitors, there's um, so maintaining our intellectual property and our ability to enforce that is is really key. Um, and that affects, you know, raising capital and all the things that come with it. Just what's your competitive moat, right? Yeah. What's your IP strength? I mean, that's, so those all, yep. I imagine that's like, even that could be like an entire, probably eight hour long podcast episode, just because like, I mean, there's probably so much to that. I can't imagine what you go through with, you know, trying to protect your intellectual property, especially considering you invest all the R&D and then, you know, other people will just try to like take that and run with it, which is, you know, not right. Agreed. Yeah. And our, our general counsel is awesome. And he's, he's all over that too. He actually uh, was in, I think he was in Europe or was he uh, Spain at a conference for a company called Redpoint, which is like, a, they basically stop infringers in Asia. Okay. Uh, IP. So he was out there like studying every nuance of like how we could, you know, improve our position in China against knockoffs. So yeah, there's a lot there. That could be a long podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like there's literal knockoffs and then you've got like the TJ Maxx style competitors who are like, you know, infringing, but like slightly different branding, um, sometimes yeah. more similar than not. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, yeah. I imagine that's a, that's a big challenge, but I mean, you guys deserve the credit. You have so much innovation. And then I guess just in terms of marketing real quick, and then we can we can wrap, but yeah. like looking looking at the reporting, like what, what are you looking at? And then like, what are you flagging? I'm just curious, like as CEO, what metrics are most important to you? Yeah, di digital ROAS is big, right? Paid and organic because those numbers and then looking, you know, we look at the US first and then we'll take like four or five of our biggest markets and we'll look at those daily. Like in the morning, I'll wake up, First thing I'll do is look at our numbers in the US. I'll look at our numbers in China. I'll ping my <laughs> my lead, uh, our lead and um, Amazon and ask about uh, 
Japan and what the growth rate is there. Um, Australia, same type of territory, just to see how much paid traffic we're driving and how much organic. Organic means a representation of the pool we're creating, right? And then obviously what return we're getting on our spend. So that's a, that's a huge metric. Um, I love seeing our customer experience metric, just like our NPS scores. Uh, we have a great team there. We brought in a good leader um, who previously was um, in a led customer experience at Stance. Um, and we brought him over here and, and he's made a dramatic, just positive change on the team there. And, you know, having great, happy customers leads to referrals. So I'll look at those scores to see like what our consumers are saying. And then usually I'll have a couple meetings a week with our marketing team, just on big picture strategy. Like how are we activating MLB, like all-star? What are we planning for, you know, if it's NBA playoffs, like NFL season's coming up. All right. And we're partnered with the Chiefs and the Seahawks and the Cowboys and we have Mahomes. So what are we doing there? Right. Um, hard knocks is coming up. How are we integrating there? Right. Like what are we doing strategically to show up on TV? And then we'll look at Best Buy, which is a big indicator too. like what's what's the sales trajectory there. So usually in the morning by like 830, I'll have all those information points and it kind of shapes. OK, last couple of days we did this and we need to step up our game here. Or we're doing great here. Interesting. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And then like, how quick are you to pivot based on those numbers? We'll we'll spot a lot of things. So we'll look like yesterday, for example, our, our hyperice X line was abnormally low, right? And so we'll spot that like what's wrong. And sometimes it's there's a, there's a map violation or something on Amazon, or maybe the product wasn't inbound at a real stock out or, you know, we moved the positioning on the website to a different spot. And on the heat map, it's not showing that there's many consumers going to view it there. They're getting lost. So things like that. And then also reaction to key things like this morning, we had a hit with the Venom Go on the Today Show, right? And that was a big hit. We sold hundreds of units in you know an hour this morning or an hour and a half of that product. So, you know, good indicator of our of our consumer demographic. So now let's do some of our marketing campaigns towards the Today Show audience on the Venom Go with these value propositions, right? Mm. Things like that. So we're very, I'd say to answer your question, we're, we're pretty reactive. We don't want to overreact, right. but we're, we're constantly looking at trends and trying to pick spots where we can be successful. Yeah. And I love that because like you're unblocking things and solving problems really quickly. Or if you're figuring yeah. out like a, a channel or audience or messaging that's working, then you're just immediately iterating on that. And I think that speaks a lot to like the growth trajectory the brand has been on. Um, you know, if you've been operating like that the whole time, I'm not surprised. Are Best Buy numbers updated in real time? That's just a random question. They're there. Yeah, we get regular reports like probably three okay. times. And they're great. And our, our CFO uh, has been great on this. Like he's all over the the day-to-day data as well. We're both looking at it and sharing notes constantly, but um, we'll get reports there. And then you nice. know, I'll get a one-liner from him. It's either like, whoa, or it's like, we got to look at this and then we'll dive into it. Nice. That's awesome. And I know we're, 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 we're out of time, but um, last question, just to end on, you know, the brand, it seems like, you know, it's grown a lot, obviously, but it seems like it's also just at the beginning of, you know, this this long journey that uh, I think you guys will be very successful on. So, like, what are you most excited about with the brand? I, I think, you know, and I mentioned I've been here since February 2014, right? So, my I guess my 10-year anniversary comes up in seven months or so. Nice. Um, the product innovation roadmap has never been stronger looking forward, right? 
so some there's a couple things there that we have that are big game changers and when they happen i think it'll open up new market categories for us so i'm really excited about that and then i think there's still a lot of upside in international markets you know we've had uh, some challenges there with you know covid and macro environments and wars and things like that right that have kind of like created a lot of um disruption in those markets but this space is still in the inception here in the us and most of those territories are probably three to four years behind as it relates to brand awareness of the category wow so there's just a tremendous amount of upside and that's why our mission is you know everybody on earth move better and live better it's a really big and lofty mission but um yeah it's it's only the more awareness that people have around how technology can affect the physiology the more demand there will be for our products and it's on us to just keep innovating and, and push the limits yeah, and the innovation is incredible. You know, you're obviously known for a few key core products, but I definitely encourage listeners to go check out the innovation that Hyperice has been up to, whether it's acquiring or launching brand new products. Um, you guys have really expanded your product line and innovated on you know everything that you you touched on today. And everyone should definitely check out what you guys are up to today. Where can they go learn more about Hyperice and and stay up to date with the brand? Yeah, uh, hyperice.com is, is a great place to go. Um, and I also, one article, um, our founder, Anthony Katz, there's a, there's a great ESPN article on how he connected with Kobe Bryant originally and how that was part of like the DNA of the company. It's a really cool article. Um, you know, Kobe was involved really early on giving some tips in product development. And, you know, Anthony's role is, is product innovation, obviously, and and uh, also helps on the brand side. But that story is really cool and kind of sets the framework of the foundation of the connection in sport. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll link that up. We'll obviously link to the site. Jim, thanks so much for coming on. It's been awesome chatting with you. I could chat with you forever. I, I feel like you've learned so much and um, you know, you've built an incredible brand um, and really appreciate you taking the time today. This was really fun. Um, thank you for having me on and uh, let's do this again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.